Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 203. We're going to be interviewing Sam. How are you doing today, Sam? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well. So you ready to do this or what? Yeah. All right. Awesome. <laughs> um, so first question I ask everybody is, tell me about your childhood and growing up. Um, you know, my mom was an alcoholic, um, addict, single mom. And, you know, she hadn't grown up yet. She liked to party, you know, so she, she partied and, but she, yeah, she was functional, you know, like, um, got up every day, went to work. Um, she was a seamstress. She worked at a box company, like just always had a job and she always, you know, worked really hard. Um, but she was, you know, I think she suffered from undiagnosed mental health issues. Um, you know, there was a period of time where we couldn't even be in the same room for 20 minutes. You know, we would, I would just, we would go at each other, you know. What kind of stuff was happening that you would go at each other? Just like dumb stuff. Like, like one time she had been drinking and I went over there to see her for Christmas and she grabbed a handful of my hair. And was like pretending to cut my hair with these like <laughs> like these battery operated zip scissors, and she actually hit the button. Oh. Uh-huh. So the back of my head in a spot like that big was like shaved. It looked like it had been shaved, like right on the top of my head, like I was a bald dude or something. <laughs> but stuff like that, you know, like just <laughs> just dumb, you know, like. But we we've gotten through it. She's a much better grandmother than she was a mother, that's for sure. So. I forgive, you know, you gotta. But yeah. we moved around a lot and uh, we moved to Maine and we lived there because my mom was married like I think three or four times. And um, we moved around in Maine, pretty much skip, skip school every year. How old were you in Maine? Uh, we moved there when I was, I think I was 10 and we stayed there until I was 14. And then she got back with her one of her husbands, and we moved to Poundall, Vermont. And that's that's where I, you know, started, you know, using and stuff. Do you think moving around made it more difficult to have a normal life? I think that you know the partying and the people she had around were, you know, not the best. You know, like. Um, just for kids. I remember like we would be up all night because it was so loud, you know, and they would like just, I try not to like, I went through a period of time, like everyone says, deal with your trauma, deal with your trauma, deal with your trauma. And it's like, I'm just so far past it, you know, like that never helped me talking about it. It never helped me, you know? So it's like, I, I don't try to like, think about it I don't I mean it is part of my story yeah I have no problem talking about it but I think that like other people should know that like you don't always have to do that you know you disagree no I I agree how was um life in school um I I mean I I always I was a real poor kid I was very poor and um, we lived in Williamstown, Mass, and there was no poor people. Like we were like, we lived on the only poor street in the only town. It's like Williams College is there. It's like the fourth most 
expensive school in the <laughs> in the U.S. I think fourth or first or something. So like really prestigious town, and um, we live there. And um, it, I, I was always I I I have the gift of gab, and I'm an empath, so I can feel you know energy from coming from people. And I was always popular, but I was I was like a grub, you know. <laughs> I always had, you know, the Salvation Army, you know, uh, thing going on, which I later turned on into my little hippie style that I have, and, you know, a little bit, you know, after my, or before my time, but uh, I ended up taking that on, you know, like I was a hippie, little hippie kid, you know, um, but basically, I think that I would go to school smelling like you know, cat piss or like whatever. And I just try to make the best of it. I was a class clown and why were you I going to smell why, why were you going to class smelling like cat piss? Because because my mom had cats and there was the, this uh family from another country that lived downstairs from us and their cats were always in the hallway where our jackets were. And this is, I don't know, just dumb like it was uh just I remember, you know always smelling it kind of traumatizes me when I smell it now <laughs> if I ever go into it like a client's home or whatever and I smell it it's like kind of like whoo I gotta like step back for a minute um because yeah that was definitely not cool and it sucked a lot and we mostly got our coats from churches so it wasn't like they came easy for us you know my mom like I said single working mom I remember she used to bring home like 120 bucks a week and she worked like more than 40 hours and they wouldn't even give her food stamps. Like two kids, like no food, nothing. Like it was crazy. I think that's why I started to respect my mom a little bit more when I had kids, you know? Like, cause we were not easy kids. My sister got pregnant at 14 for twins with twins and I went to drugs. So she did not have it easy. That's for sure. What age did you first use any type of drug or alcohol? I, I mean, I was drinking and smoking. My mom did. So I would just go steal it from her and then she'd steal mine. And like, she ended up like pretty much giving me permission by the time I was 14 because, you know, she would run out of pot. And, <laughs> well, not, <laughs> like, not about, not about when your mom gave you permission. When did you actually first try anything? So I would say I, I was probably like, 12 when I started smoking pot okay um like probably like 11 when I started smoking cigarettes and then um I went right to heroin like I literally put down Barbies and picked up heroin IV first time how can you went to IV right away because of the it was like my girlfriend at the time um we just she was older than I was a lot older and um I just thought she was, you know, the coolest thing ever, you know, and we would go out to, you know, Greenwich Village and we would get a, a motel room across the Jersey Bridge and um, her and who was my friend that was supposed to be my best friend, um, they shot me up for the first time and I wanted to do it. Like I wanted to do it. Like I was, I was seeking it out. Like, I'm not going to lie. Um, what What prompted you to want to do it? I thought drugs were cool because at, at that point, like I had already been selling, you know, pills and um, 
like just I was you know so everybody wants you when you're selling drugs which I've done for my entire life well from like I said for probably a little bit before 14 on I've sold drugs and that's how people I felt needed you know wanted and needed and even in jail I would you know traffic drugs into the jail through the mail or through correctional officers and you know I had everybody would flock to me and that was the only way I ever felt like I was wanted you know so I got just as addicted to selling drugs as I did to doing them. So you were selling drugs before you even started using? Oh yeah, yeah. My mom would have these uh, those little uh, they were like speed pills. They're they're called uh, bronchial dilators or something that she <laughs> she would buy them at Cumberland Farms. And I remember, yeah, me and my high school best friend we used to steal them all the time from her and sell those. That's, so that's how we started. It was just such fast, easy money, you know? No, I know. I used to sell. I mean, it was just weed when I was growing up, but it was a lot of weed. Yeah. It's like, you got to understand, like, I, I, this, I live in a small town and they have made me a martyr since day one. I was the first heroin raid the town ever had. And this was back in 99 or 2000. And my roommate, my drug dealer, I had moved her into my very first apartment because I was homeless. Uh, my mom moved, my mom, and my sister bounced because I got as evicted. I had a huge party, which was stupid. And somebody robbed the people upstairs and somebody hit the lady's car. So we got evicted. And then I, I was like, okay, I'm going to bounce for a while. So I went on tour and like only for three weeks or whatever with bands um, at that time, I think it was Horde Festival. And then when I came back, the entire house was empty except for my room. So no forwarding address. So I stayed there for a couple of weeks until the landlord boarded up the windows. And then I was on my, on my own, like I was on my own. Where'd everybody go? My, they, and it, they moved down to, uh, to North Adams, which is like 25 minutes from Bennington um, with one of my mom's, you know, boyfriends. So. Were yeah. you reconnect with them? What did you do? I I had a lot of friends, honestly, and it was kind of cool because we ended up making like because I was I was just camped out um, and we made it. We call we still call it. We all talk about it still as a venue tour summer. And it was like the last summer I had of being a kid, you know, like and it was great. We went every night we would camp somewhere different and we'd have so many people come and like they don't even do that anymore. Kids don't even leave the house anymore, you know. Yeah. It's not like we were doing crazy things. We weren't. We'd drink and whatever. I'd spare change all day for pints. And, you know, it was just a, th a thing. And we all we all look back on it fondly. Because I think after that summer, you know, I, tur I turned 17 that summer. Or the last summer that I was out on the streets. That's the one that I remember the most. Because it was just so, like, almost bittersweet, you know. Mm -hmm. After that, everyone went their own ways. Like it wasn't that bad. Like I said, I would I went on tour with bands, um, so I would travel around. I went with the Rainbow Gathering for a while, and I went to Woodstock, and then 
uh, after Woodstock, uh, I chilled with the gathering for, I followed them for, you know, a month or so, but I would get really antsy, really. Like I was the type of girl that would throw on a backpack and just go to the route seven and stick my thumb out. You know, it wasn't that dangerous then, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong. I had some really <laughs> crazy experiences with that, but it was most of the time I'd get picked up honestly by people that were going to the show. Like a van would pull over and five people would be back there opening up clouds of smoke coming out. You know, it was always like serendipitous, you know, like kind of works out, you know. I gotcha. look back and I'm like, how did I do it? You know, because I lived out of a, I had this big ass Burton backpack and I would just, <laughs> that's all I had. And it's probably a lot of the reason why I'm so materialistic now, you know, gotta have stuff. <laughs> but, It was before it stopped being fun, you know? Um, oh, that's my gratitude alarm. Sorry. <laughs> so what was your life like in school? Did you get good grades? Yep. Yep. Um, well in school? I, every, any heroin addicts I've ever met is very intelligent, highly intelligent. Like yeah, I I've noticed that with dr all drug addicts are very smart and alcoholics, are very smart people. Yeah. Um, yeah, I had a, I, like, I, in my I, when I was 22, I was in jail and they had to have me tested. Um, they wanted my IQ tested or something. Um, my PO was trying to, like, give me disability for my ADHD or something. And um, they told me that I had, I had a near genius IQ at that, at when I was 22. And then um, I think that, it, that, like I always tried to dumb myself down because of jail, because I didn't, I thought that if people knew how intelligent I was, then they would have the upper hand. And if I continued to dumb it down, that basically I had the upper hand. Does that make sense? Yeah. Because I mean, and, and, and it worked a lot. Like they would sit there and talk in front of me. And <laughs> I mean, I played it really dumb, like, <laughs> like really dumb because you know, that's the mentality in there. You know, it's like, the, and, and that's, that's what I meant to say was that like my whole mission in this is to make sure that no other young person goes through what I went through in this town because my roommate, she had rich parents. They hired her the best lawyer in the town, David Silver. And she was caught with 9.6 grams in her hand. Now, me, I'm in the other room hiding in a closet when they roll in. I had nothing on me, nothing. And I was getting up to go to work because I worked two jobs and I was going to college. Well, she did one night in jail, got bailed out, never went back. B, I got three to six years to serve for a first defense. How come? Why did why they show up on you? because they made an example out of me. I was a poor kid. I didn't have, you know, nobody was at court for me. Um, and it became a cycle. That's all they ever did, Jim. Like they, they, I would go to, and as soon as I got to that courtroom, the state's attorney would take a look at me and they would just fight for me to go. And I would always go, they would throw me away like toilet paper, never offer me rehab, never once. I went to rehab on my own a couple of times to try to, you know, evade going to jail, but I really, it, it was bad. And, and she even, I had a worker that went to support me to court and the state's attorney, Erica Martha, she said to them, you're wasting your time with her. She's not worth it. 
So I started to believe that I wasn't worth it. And I would go to jail and they would, the jail treated me the same way because it, back then addiction was not a disease. We know it was, but it, it wasn't officially a disease. And like, I remember walking down the road after I had gotten raided and people, you know, I was on the front page of the paper several times and somebody threw cans out of their back, of their truck at me, calling me a junkie, you know? And it's like, I just, I went through hell and I don't want anyone to go through that ever again. It's, I mean, there's corruption in this town. It's a small town. It's expected. But I'm, I've been trying to get through the, to the legislature. Um, and I actually think it's going to happen soon. Um, because. Hi. Um, but yeah, they, they just, they hammered me and everybody knew it. And like, like, like one time, for instance, after I, I got pregnant for my daughter, um, I was feeling good. I was sober. You know what I mean? So I said, you know, I'm going to go to Hampton beach for my, my, um, my birthday, you know, family trip to Hampton beach. Don't you know, I get there and Pat says, uh, somebody's taking pictures of us. I said, Oh no, they're taking pictures of the beautiful waves, you know, da, 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 da. Well, sure enough. Yep. They were taking pictures of it. It was a correctional officer from the Burlington jail at Hampton beach walking by with her mom and saw me in the water took pictures and sent them to my PO. So I got a felony escape charge for leaving, for <laughs> like, I just, I get so speechless because it's so, my entire record is stuff like that. Why well, you were supposed to leave the certain yeah, area or I wasn't something? Supposed to leave. No, it was just a day trip. I was going back that night, but I wasn't supposed to leave. So then I ended up having to spend nine months I spent three months away from my beautiful daughter, who's right here. She um, knows me. Um, I spent three months away from her, and then they made me go. I well, I decided to go to Lund home because they were going to make me max out the nine months in jail for a felony escape. Now today, escapes aren't felonies, but I still got three of them when I never even went on escape once. So they just made an example out of me, and it's like at the jail they did the same thing because they would get hearsay. Like all of a sudden I got traumatized by that too, because they would, all of a sudden I, everyone would have to lock in and here they come with cuffs and ready to just cuff and stuff me and drag me to the hole um, where they would leave me for months at a time in administrative segregation on suspicion or hearsay. By myself in a cell with my mental health issues, like whatever I had going on then. And it's like, I, I literally lost my mind. Like, beyond that i could have screamed for help for days and nobody would have came nobody would have known it was hard it was really hard it sounds like it was like it really was it's like but i always try to keep a positive outlook like i really did like i tried to you know a lot of other women there they had kids that they they were away from now mind you i grew up in this jail like <laughs> i literally the first time i went there i was 17 there was 25 women um, now there's over 250 and I was there for the whole ride, you know? And I think that's why I went back for so many years because Vermont has this great thing called house arrest and, um, it's just not that smart anyway, but yeah, they would, if I was late for my meeting with my PO and I'm a chronic late person because of the ADHD, like executive function issues, whatever, a lot of us have it. And I, if I was seven minutes late, I would go to jail. 
there were times where I, I would get out of jail and go back the next day. Like, I don't know. It was just the frustration, like, with that and, like, the way that they threw me away. I started feeling that way about myself, you know? Like, that I wasn't worth it. It was, like, when, you know, older people that you would have normally respected are telling you that you're not worth it with their actions and basically saying it right to the judge right in front of you in a courtroom full of people. And it's like, there is not one reason that, that my roommate should have, I'm, I mean, I'm happy like for her that she did whatever, but just because I could not afford an attorney, I should not have gotten three to six years and then sucked into the system for even more, you know? It, it's like, I just can't bear the thought of that happening to anyone else. So my whole thing with becoming a recovery coach is that I want, hi, honey, um, was that I wanted to basically build myself up and gain credibility and let them see that, you know, anyone that I dealt with, that I have earned my reputation that I have now. And I've worked really, really, really hard considering six and a half years ago, I was in a homeless shelter and now I own a $300,000 home. So it sounds like you're doing well. What what um what age were you when you realized it was a problem? Oh god. And what was your drug of choice? Heroin? heroin. Yep. Ivy heroin. Um I would, you know, uh, I would I like I didn't do bags, I did grams, you know. It was I just figured Pat, yeah, she's got I love you. Um, I I don't like talking about it. Sorry. She knows it too. Love you, Munchie girl. Um, so I pretty much I forgot what I was saying. Now, sorry. You were saying you did grams, not bags. Yeah, like I disfigure, like my hands, like are disfigured permanently. Like it's From what? like. Ivy, I shot out my arteries. Like, check this out. You see that? I just it's like an that. indent. And this is like six and a half years. Doctors will not help me. They think I'm going to go out and do it again. I have been to every doctor, every specialist. What do you mean they won't? They won't help you with what? They won't help me fix my hands. Why not? Because they think I'll go out and do it again. Because I'm an addict, you know? I'm an addict, don't you know? I've tried everything, too. I've tried lymphatic massage. I've tried just, like, uh, just the because it, the pain was really bad and until recently. I started, I don't know if you've ever heard of a Supernatural. It's a VR headset. Oh, it's awesome, man. Um, so I, I started doing boxing on it, and it's like a virtual reality boxing flow meditation type of thing game. It's awesome. I actually um, wrote an article about that's one of my first articles about supernatural because it it literally helped me get off almost all my meds. It helped me get my hands to where they are now, where I can actually bend my fingers um, because the circulation must be like the boxing gets my circulation flowing. It's like, and I was a girl that did not like organized movement at all at all and I can I do it every night I go out on my back porch I even bought like an outdoor heater <laughs> so I can go back out and do it um but I think that that 
I get, I still deal with stigma every day, every day. Like at my job, I worked there for four years. You know, I'm doing therapy there as an intern. And then I am a recovery coach with two totally opposite ends of the spectrum. One I'm paid to share experiences. The other one I have to clam up like, and, and it stinks because I feel like I could help the people that are engaged in therapy with me a lot more if they knew. So going back a little bit, when you first decided you were going to get sober, what did you do? I didn't decide. It was just, it literally, so what happened was my, my best friend, Trevor, and the guy I was seeing at the time were like best friends. So we were all always together, you know, um, we were actively using together whatever. Well, Clark died and um, my best friend went to jail for it for five years for allegedly selling him the heroin that killed him. And he didn't do it. He didn't do it. And so after that happened, I found the law of attraction, which I'm a pragmatic realist. So I thought all these years I made fun of people. Like when all my therapists would tell me to meditate, I can't meditate. I got ADHD. What do you mean? I can't meditate. And now it's like, oh my God, if I had just listened sooner, oh my goodness. Like I would say manifest, oh, these people are crazy quack jobs. And I would have some things to say about them. <laughs> and now it's like, I feel like spirituality, not religion, spirituality is what I was missing. It's the hole inside of me that I was trying to fill with drugs for 20 something years. You know, it went so much past my mommy didn't love me syndrome. You know, it was like, an emptiness and yeah I had trauma yeah I had really bad things happen to me but at the end of the day I, I'm a survivor through and through like I just I survived and I'm resilient and I keep a positive mindset you know um so anyway yeah so I found a lot of attraction so about three four months after that I <laughs> found out I was pregnant now, I did not, I was 35 years old. I did not have a maternal bone in my body. Never wanted to have kids. Absolutely not. You couldn't have paid me to have kids. Because, you know, I knew my life was just, it would hurt. I seen all the pain the other girls went through, you know, like, no, I could not do it because I would mess it up. And I'll probably be dead in a couple of years anyway. That was what I used to say all the time. And everybody knew it, you know. And I always say that everybody, because people used to bet their kids' lives that I would never change. Bet their kids' lives that I would never change. And I agreed with them. I agreed with them. Like, and then the minute we found out we were, we were selling drugs and I took a test and it came back pregnant. I was pregnant. And within an hour and a half, we had flushed down everything and I mean it like I know people say that sometimes and they don't really mean it I mean it we flushed everything we had down the toilet we left the trap house and we went to the homeless shelter and that's where we built ourselves back up you know like just tried to I mean and it was bad too because we started um you know the landlord that actually rented to us was the landlord that the raid happened at so he he um, said he'd give us a chance, but he gave us a one bedroom 
never had cockroaches in my life. That place had cockroaches. It was like just disgusting, but we worked, we, we paid our rent. We did everything we were supposed to do. And he, then we had literally a three story, um, half of a duplex that he rented to us. And that was beautiful. But then he told me I couldn't have my swimming pool. So I said, oh, no, no, no. My kids love swimming. And then I bought a house right before COVID happened. And that was pretty, I was pretty proud of that because my credit score was like 450 because I never knew that credit mattered, you know? Yeah. So now I work with that on my clients. My clients, I'm always pushing that like because I never had a clue how that it mattered. Why would it matter to me? I'm just going to do this and A, B, and C and everything's cash. No, it matters. It definitely matters. I'm struggling with it again, actually. <laughs> Use too many of my credit cards. Times are tough. Yep, they are. So, yeah. I So, yeah, we stopped as soon as we found out I was pregnant. And then um, we really never... Well, Pat went back for a little while. He was using at work. And I didn't find out until much, much later. And then, I mean, there was a couple of things where that I went through that I cannot believe that I did not use because I found out that he cheated on me when I was in jail. Like, just petty stuff that just really hurt, you know? Like, I'm in jail pregnant with your, your child and, and you're sleeping with someone that's not a good person to sleep with, you know? And I was in there for his crime, pregnant with his kid, you know? So that really hurt a lot. I never felt, I never allowed myself to feel pain like that. No, just didn't. But it did that time. It's different when you have kids. Do you have kids? I have a daughter. Yeah. How old is she? Two. Oh, you lucky. I wish my kid was two. My son's two. But my daughter was an angel child. I say she's a crystal kid. Do you know what crystal kids are? No. They are kids that were sent to Earth to restore and raise the vibrations of the collective consciousness through love and vibrations. And I think that she is one of them. Definitely. She's just so full of love and light. That's great. Yeah. She does. Yep. So how do you keep yourself sober nowadays? How long you've been sober? How long? Um, in March, it'll be seven years. And let me tell you, I never imagined that I could say that ever. Like ever. Nobody That's a very did. long time. It really is. Especially when you've used heroin your whole entire life. You know? My entire adult life and partially before. Like, and that was, that was it. I just, I wasn't a bad person. I, I didn't like go around ripping people off uh, because of my auntie. She instilled in me, you know, that it was important to be a good person. And I still, to this day, like I do stuff for people that I get screwed over constantly because I have a big heart and I am empathic, you know? And it's like, like, for instance, I had just moved in um, my kid's aunt and her three children were extremely behavioral challenged um, and, you know, gave her a place to live. Not, mind you, I've been supporting her for the last seven years and like emptying out my cupboards and like whatever, because I thought she was in a domestic abuse relationship. Anyway, long story short, um, we got in a fight over dishes, <laughs> over dishes. 
because she left her kids with me overnight, gave me the wrong number, and um, and then she blackmailed me. So I gave her fifteen hundred dollars for her deposit and told her get out, you know, and go, just go. And then I was still gonna let her come back when her mom begged me until she called my job. She called my job. Yeah. I didn't see that coming. And that hurt really bad. You know. And I, I find myself I need to like develop better boundaries. That's why my blog is like progressing, not perfecting, because it's the story of my life. Like I'm so imperfect. Like, but hey, you know, always like, perfect. And I know that. Like I just always felt particularly imperfect, you know. I just wasn't like other girls, you know. I grew up with all the guys. I was one of the guys. Like, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm a girly girl, but like like my best friend Trevor, like he's like the male version of me, you know. Uh well, back then he was. And then, it, like, I helped him again. He just got out of jail and came to my house. Well, don't you know, he relapsed and got me for some money. Like, my brother, you know? And I try to think back on how, like, I would have felt or, like, how, I don't know, how I would deal with it. But I still, I'm such a forgiving person that it's like I almost want to instantly forgive them, you know? It's just like, I don't think a lot of people think about the actual shit that we deal with in our recoveries that could potentially go either way, you know? Yeah. I decided a long time ago that it's not an option for me. If my kids are walking around breathing and they're thriving, drugs, I don't need drugs. And I know it doesn't work that. I think that if I had them when I was younger, I would have lost them without a doubt. I would have lost them. But being that I was 35 years old, you know, pretty much thought I would die within the next two years. He saved my life. He continued to save my life. So it's supernatural. <laughs> it really does. You got to try it. You got to. Yeah, you got to try it. You're probably not into that stuff, are you? What kind of stuff? It's a VR, it's a VR, it's virtual reality. I've never done it before. Oh my God, you need to do it. You need yeah. to do it. I'm serious. I bought those because I, I, I invest in crypto and um, I was curious about gaming tokens. So I'm like, okay, whatever. I'm just going to check this out and see you know, what, what I can see. And then I started buying up digital real estate, whatever. And then I found this, the, the beauty there's a, there's one, uh, meditate. Do you meditate? Yeah. Okay. So there's a meditation app called trip and you need to try it because it is nothing of this world. I'm telling you like every day they lead you on a different trip and it's like, um, you can do a focus trip or a calm trip. And, um, they basically all just colors and beauty and crystal. Like, like it, it's awesome. It's awesome. You know what? Actually, when we're done with this, I'm going to send you, I'm going to, because I screen record them sometimes when they're really beautiful. I'm going to send it to you and I want you to picture it 360 degrees. Okay. Because it's beautiful. They can also take you to Africa and like, like all sorts of stuff. You can see the parts of the world that you'd never normally see. You know, I never been anywhere. So it's nice, you know? Yeah. Brings me peace. 
whatever works, right? Yeah, whatever works. I tell my clients that. Like, I meet you where you're at. I don't care. I didn't use 12 steps to get clean. That was actually counterproductive for me, you know? I just used my spirituality and the law of attraction in my kids. And good things kept happening. Like, believe it or not, like, that's... I, I actually, the other day, I was driving to work, and every morning on the way to work, I'll listen to my affirmations that I, in my voice, I said... <laughs> voiceover on the you know some spa music or whatever from the alexa and i'll say um you know one of them was i'm a non-smoker i do yoga or work out every day and i listened to it and i'm like holy shit i did every freaking one of them every one every single affirmation that i've been saying every day they were all done everything even big ones like quitting smoking which i never thought i'd do Mm. Isn't that awesome? It's amazing. Yeah. I feel good about it. You should. Yeah, I do. So again, towards the end here, let me ask you one last question. Do you have any advice for people watching and listening? I do. I have a lot of advice, but I'm not going to. I just think that I, I liked when people told me that, you know, make the next right decision. Because, I mean, you you know how it is. They come at you with all the, um, you know, the AA or NA, you know, you, you don't want to hear that, especially if you're actively using, you don't want to hear that. So my, my thing is to, you know, let people know that everybody's different. You know, you want to find, I, I think everyone should have a recovery coach. If I had a recovery coach when I got sober or I would have gotten sober 20 years ago. There's like an 86% success rate for recovery coaching and abstinence. Like it's insanely high. And what, do you know something different? Say again? Do you know something different? Do I know Is something different? different? Yeah, did you, I, I don't know, you, you looked down, so I didn't know if you had different statistics. No, 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 no. <laughs> it's okay if you did. Um, no, no, I don't have anything, I was just, I have a stopwatch down here. It tells me the time. I would just say, yeah, yeah utilize resources. Um, like I said, I, I I provide resources on my blog. Never use alone right here. You know, drug veteran, drug or war on drug veteran. Have you, do you know about the never use alone hotline? Yes. Amazing. They saved someone's life that was very close to me. And um, I actually know one of the founders. And let me tell you, I there isn't a better program. Like those, they are real lifesavers. I mean, you're a lifesaver. I'm a lifesaver. We're all lifesavers. But these are like, like that's that's awesome. Like really. And anyone that should can can or is in a place to volunteer should totally volunteer. Do they know? What, you think everyone knows what it is? Well, no, for people who don't know what it is, it's basically a line you call and someone stays on the other line and they know exactly where you are. So when you shoot up in case you don't respond to them after a few minutes, they'll call for help. Yes, yes. And it works. It works. I mean, it really works. Um, I have a couple of clients that have used it. And, and you know, it's got to be hard. And I give them a lot of credit for using it too. Um, but they do. And that's important. You know, um, but yeah, so I would say if you have recovery coaching in your area, get yourself a recovery coach because that's the support that we 
push out. We push everyone else away. You know what I mean? A recovery coach is like a neutral party that is going to meet you where you're at. You know, I, I meet my clients where they're at. I'm not going to push my, you know, law of attraction, spirituality thing on them. I'm not going to put push NA on it, but if they want to go to an NA meeting, I'll bring them to an NA and I'll go with them, you know, but it's just, it's that kind of support. If I would have had that, I, I think that I would have not used for so long. Yeah, I mean, having some type of support is always a good thing. Yeah, it is. You got to have it. I like the Johan Hari talk. Like, the opposite, the last thing he says after he tells all about Rat Park, he's like, the opposite of addiction is connection. Okay? And as a recovery coach, I can knock on your door. And if you're trying to, I tell him up front, I'm very blunt. I have no filter. And if I think you're doing something and you're being dishonest about it, yep, I'm going to knock on your door. And they're pretty cool about it. They know. They know how I am. You know? You enjoy doing that? I do. Not for where I'm working now. They just, I just feel undervalued. And I felt, you know, it's like a cycle. You know? <laughs> so I just deal with it. But, yeah. It, you know, it never was about money for me. But when I can make more money at Dunkin' Donuts... <laughs> And I deal with half the mental and emotional. It's a hard job. It really is. It exhausts me, you know. I'm hoping to become a full-time blogger soon. Like you are you you're a full-time blogger, right? No, not I'm blogging. full-time. You have the you have a day job? Yeah. Huh? Yes, I do. Well, probably not for long. Hopefully. You never know. Is that what you want to? You wanna you just wanna be able to quit your day job? I just want to be able to run, well, I'm putting together a nonprofit that I want to be able to run and own sober houses and do stuff like that. Those are, are the like, goals. Are you in my head? Like, that's seriously, that's what I want too. I, I think that when people are coming out of jail, they are not, there's nothing set up for them. No employment in small towns. Like, this is what, this is what sucked me into that revolving cycle for 20 years because I would get out and I would have to apply to all the same places that I applied to before. They would all shoot me down. And, oh, I got rent to pay in 14 days. What am I going to do? What would you do? Go to jail because you can't pay your rent or wait a while and try to make some money and, you know, last until you get caught. And that's what I did for 20 years. I mean, I probably went through that cycle 30 times. I always say my book that I'm writing is called Life on the Installment Plan because that's it's what I did. But we don't want addicts in jail. We don't want people, you know? It's like, it's it's all fluff, you know? Yeah. Well, I want to thank you for coming on the podcast. Yeah, I'm, I'm really glad to be able to do this. Because like I said, it was my comfort zone thing. And like, like I actually feel good. I feel, I feel comfortable. You make me feel comfortable. Well, I'm glad I was able to do that. Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, I feel I want to definitely talk to you about, you know, some opportunities on both sides. Yeah, point. we'll chat afterwards. Okay. All right, sit tight for me. Okay. And for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you saw and heard, go below and give us a like. Also subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on all social media like Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, Instagram, TikTok, and Tumblr. I also suggest checking out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you'll find plenty of free resources and literature. I hope you enjoyed today. 
And until next time.